This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You never heard of a young farmer? Wait till Bango gets there. I got pelted with celery. Big chumbawamba. We drew blood a few times. Are you going in the crowd and giving him the kung fu kick? Let's judge him next season after yeah. Wayne's got all of him. I would have a zero injury policy. You can look at Everington and a Kabusi. Chris, did you have a moment like that? You dropped one banger. I'm losing my job here. You know, Chumba Wamba Kudos, Baby Divrat. How do we start? <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of That Peter Crouch Podcast with me, Peter Crouch, Chris Start and Statman Dave with me as usual. You right, boys? Very good. Yes, you, Dave. Yeah, new venue. Feels a bit strange. New venue. I've been in this pub a few times. It's a decent away pub. It is an away pub. I've I've been in here myself. Um, it's pretty handy for the tube to a certain ground. Yeah, we all we can say, can't we? It's like it's it's the it's a very busy pub before games at Wembley. The last time I came here was for the FA Cup final, and it was so many Chelsea fans in this pub and as I crossed the road over from Baker Street Station I got pelted with celery uh, uh, as did everyone crossing the road I don't think it was targeted <laughs> <at> my... <laughs> and I didn't understand why um, I remember asking my dad when I was 10 years old about it what is this celery that keeps hitting us he was reluctant to say then really as I'm reluctant to say now you don't want to say for anyone listening right now that, that doesn't know or I think find out for yourself. It's a, it's a Chelsea song that's been going back for a long time now. Um, no idea why, but perhaps someone can give us the history behind it. Yeah. But nice to be in this pub, Dave. Slightly different location. Weirdly, though, we're in the corner and there's still flies buzzing around. Feels like home. No bacon on the floor, though. That's something I'd, I'd kind of request for next time if they can sort that one out. It suggests that maybe the pub wasn't the issue with the flies and it's in fact us we, like, I do I do worry that it's come out of one of our underpants or something Jesus can I propose another theory flies kind of like beer normally when I'm out with mates you don't get the flies around the table sort of thing it seems to be a podcast only have you lads worked in a pub before yeah yeah do you not have it when you worked at a pub um, especially in London I found I used to work in a pub in Chancery Lane and very much found that that was the case Oh, really? Yeah. Well, we're in this pub today, uh, changed the location, because good news, guys, they're actually renovating the pub that we normally record in. Really? Uh, which we're hoping will mean the toilets might improve ever so slightly. Oh, but it kills the arms of shank deal, though, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have we talked about this? Like, I really wanted us to find Armitage, Mr. Armitage or Mr. Shanks and get them on. I'd just like to know their background, really, their history. Because they have got the monopoly on urinals. Yeah, so they're going to be building new toilets at the pub that we normally record in. And then I thought what might be cute is we could do a, you know, an opening ceremony or something like that. That'd be nice. Cut the ribbon. And yeah, other news, lads. We've been delving into potentially getting a blue plaque on our pub. It feels like a place of cultural significance, doesn't it? The pub that we record in, because we've done most of the episodes for this podcast in that pub. Seen some amazing uh, moments. 
It's a, it's an area of cultural significance. I'm really excited about this podcast. I'm interested to know where it goes because a little while ago we spoke about what your mentality was like growing up before you became a professional footballer and your relationship with your dad and maybe how he pushed you or how he promoted you or inspired you. And I particularly like that story he gave about you not going to parties or sort of the way he encouraged you to not go to parties. Yeah, I, I sort of, he put the onus on me, really. Like, um, the way he did it was like, if you do that, will you achieve your end goal or will it help you with your end goal? And I just thought that kind of that kind of mentality really, really helped me because um, I was so desperate to be a footballer. That element of all that seed of doubt, it was like I was old enough to make my own decisions, but he was planting that seed of doubt to make my own decision the right way to achieve my end, my end goal. And it's easy for me to sit here and say, you know, that's how you do it. There's plenty of different ways to, to do that and to parent, but that worked for me and, you know, it might work for others. It's very empowering. It gives you ownership of your career, right? So if you're motivated to make that decision when you're not going on the piss, you're going to make another decision to maybe train a little bit more. Yeah, and I think that's, I think that's, it's, we're all, you know, not all of us, but some of us here are our fathers. <laughs> and, <laughs> I was say, some of us here are elite on a whole army, no, 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 no. Some of us here are fathers, and like, it's a it's a hard thing to bring up kids, and you do, we all do it our own way. You were talking about your daughter and swimming before we started recording the podcast. Yeah, very motivating. Yeah, father. it is. I, oh, I can't believe how much I'm into this. You know, I I didn't realize there's this arena league now that you and you go and it's like a league table, and you get promoted, you get relegated, and you know we're in a sort of Premier League. I say we, my daughter's in the. Pre- <laughs> In the Premier League of the swimming and like it's, it's it's the first time she did it last week and we you know we went to Wickham away and it's a tough place to go and um we we dug in and we got we got a decent results. Okay, let's unpack this. So I wasn't aware that you were going to these swimming meets and and it was so competitive and you were telling telling us before about there's a guy who bangs the drum yeah. for the the place that you're swimming for yes, but you're so, not swimming like this is all your daughter but you're turning up competitive dad yeah everyone is though you know like you you will wear sort of like team colours he bangs the drum we all come in as a big squad and like obviously the kids are at the front and then the parents are at the back and you eye up the opposition and then you you swim it out and and obviously you get points for a win and and a loss and and then obviously there's a final league table at the at the bottom it's my first time my daughter's ever done it mm. and i've got to say it's, it's i think it was better than football on a saturday almost you it was like you, it. you go there it's so competitive and cheering them on and you know you get a result you're cheering for other people's kids who are part of your team because it gets the points higher and you don't want to be in the relegation zone fighting for your life you know you want to be missing football <laughs> no <laughs> Wait till Bango gets there. My, my, my little girl does swimming, but you're, she just does lessons. I wasn't yeah, but she's aware young. of when it gets... You no, know, she'll, she'll get to that point where you, you're banging the drum and you've got the pom-poms. Wickham away, though. Wickham like, away is a tough, some... tough place to go. Is it? Tough place to go. Great swim squad. But we went there and we did get we, a result. <laughs> we. You, but you've played in some of the biggest stadiums in the world. Wickham's right? hostile. Is it? Wickham Leisure Centre was hostile. I noticed it was a good good facilities as well. Is it well. like being in Turkey? <laughs> what is, what's it comparable to? Besiktas away. <laughs> a friend of mine, who's swimmer Tom Dean, you were saying you met him at that as well, but you didn't have a 
clue he was at first. I think that's okay to say. I knew he was a swimmer. But then we were chatting away and he talked about the Olympics and I said, oh, how'd you get on? And he was like, yeah, I, you know, I won it twice. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, sorry. <laughs> that was poor for me. But I'm yeah. just not across the swimming much. Yeah. But I mean, like, then I've obviously delved into his career and I'd look at, like, amazing. I see it with my, my little girl now, obviously up before school and it's hard work. But yeah, he's training three times a day in quite a solitary environment. And we talk, you know, this podcast about mentality. That mentality to achieve an Olympic gold medal in a sport, which is completely like I was training with my mates every day. We're having a laugh and, you know, we, we get through it and it's quite sociable. Like, to be a swimmer, that takes serious dedication. Like those, those boys and, and you know, girls well, I don't as well. think there's red arse in that sport. Is there, mean, where, where's the red arse? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? Flick the speedos at the end? Yeah. Or like, you know, the floats. <laughs> you just get it wrapped around oh, your the arse. floats like, around your yeah. arse. Yeah. It might, it might be. Just flick the end of the bell. <laughs> All or nothing. It's all isn't or it? nothing. Imagine if you if you got to catch it right, you can't go straight in. Yeah. Like we used to do it on the ears. Like we have two touch. Um, usually in a hotel before a game, we'd have a big room where the massage table was, and it would you'd always flick. Like when I say flick, no holes barred flicks. Uh, we used to draw blood. We drew blood a few times. <laughs> Let's not let you near anyone's bell end. <laughs> Just warning you. Just imagine for a second, Crouchy. Never did what he did in football, but did it in swimming. Would be and good. this is what he bought to the game. <laughs> it's out there, I'm telling you. So many people have been loving our last podcast. Ed Sheeran giving us advice ahead of Crouch Fest and discussing a lot of interesting things. Jay-Z and Beyonce and the crowd who would pump us up. If you haven't checked that out, search it on our podcast feed and go and give it a listen. So on the last episode, we began our referendum to find out the definitive answer to the question of who's better. Ronaldo or Messi? Crouchy nailed his colours to the mask, but have you got anyone else wanting to get involved? Where do you stand, Chris, on this? Um, <laughs> is this... Yeah, obviously, I'm not going to... No, because Cristiano uh, and Lionel will be listening. Yeah. And take that into account. It's easier to say Messi is the greatest, but everything about Ronaldo makes me want to say him. It's worked so incredibly hard to be the pinnacle of physical fitness, to be an absolute specimen of a human with obviously a God-given talent, with plenty of skill and ability to train himself to hit with both feet. But I don't know, I feel like it's a case of nature over nurture almost. Like for the most naturally gifted, natural ability footballer, I think it's almost the purest's view, I think, of, of football is messy. I think what would be an interesting experiment is if you just fire off a quick Messi or Ronaldo to a few people in the phone book. We haven't done this for ages, have we? Got the no, old phone haven't. book out. I've got so many numbers. Like, shall, I, shall I just randomly go through uh, some numbers and just go mm. Messi or Ronaldo, right? Do you want me to start A's or just anywhere? Or Why don't you go halfway through? Because I feel like we always start at the beginning of your phone book. So... Go halfway through. Michael McIntyre? Yeah, great start. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant start. <laughs> Messi or Ronaldo? <laughs> this, this is great. Well, so that's gone to Michael McIntyre. We'll see what he comes back with. Carry on. Please. Look at his eyes. It's when he sees a name and he has to have a quick debate in his head. They're just <laughs> funny, aren't they? Like, I've got Matt Mead at UEFA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. I don't think he's, he's, he's really high up in UEFA. He, he might then... have a real insight. Oh, hold on a minute. I've got a, uh, a picture come through from Michael McIntyre. <laughs> Oh, it's messy Ooh, and a go. Oh, yeah. He's messy. <laughs> <laughs> Michael McIntyre. 
He loves his football. He's you know, he knows his stuff. Right, I've messaged me though. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Something that's absolutely staggering. If Ronaldo never scores again um, and Haaland plays till he's 38, he'll need to score at least 43 goals a season for the next 16 years to just level up Cristiano Ronaldo's career total. That puts that puts things into perspective when you're talking about people even mentioning Haaland's name yet. It, it, you know, he's got potential. It's amazing what he's doing. Incredible. Like, what a start. But those those boys, 40-something goals. 43 goals for the next 16 seasons. 16 years. <laughs> Part of the greatness is consistency. Yeah, exactly it? right. And that only can be judged in time. We can't judge that now. But another thing this season, if he continues his goal-scoring rate for the rest of the 22-23 Premier League season, he'd finish with 63 goals, which would be as many as Ronaldo from 08-09 and Salah from 17-18 combined. So we're talking 43 a season, but if he's scoring at the same rate, he gets to 63 this year. It's physically impossible, I would say. Is it? To, you reckon? Yeah. To maintain? You can't, you can't maintain it. The, the thing is, the amount of chances he's getting and the quality of those chances is exceedingly high because he plays for Man City. The, the thing I agree with you is, he's shown in previously in his career, he is slightly injury prone. If they manage him right... We don't know how his performance will be in the summer, do we? We don't know he's what got... the hell Jack Grealish is going to do with him. Uh... And Wayne Lineker, for that matter. So <laughs> Once Wayne I... Lineker gets hold of him, it could be the end. That's what I mean. Like, I don't think Messi or Ronaldo have had to... But he could thrive on Wayne Lineker. He could, it could improve. It, like, this is what we don't know. So let's give it... Let's see what Wayne can do with him and then maybe come back on this again. Let's judge him next season after yeah. Wayne's got hold of him. <laughs> Right, should we get into what this episode is all about? And it's all of your questions that you've been sending in for Crouchy all around this topic of the mentality in becoming a, a footballer to Crouchy standard. Should we kick it off? Message from Robbie. I'm an 18-year-old player in Northern Ireland and my dream is to play in Spain or Portugal. I play for the reserves and aiming for the first team at an Irish league club. I am a smaller, more technical player, which can be difficult at times due to the brand of football being direct and physical. I'm fully dedicated to my football. I eat right, hit the gym, don't go to parties. And if I do, I leave early. Many players my age have gone across to England or Scotland to sign pro contracts. I have been dedicated for so long, but I've not seen many rewards in terms of contracts. So it's difficult to keep the motivation. What's your advice? Oh, it's a nice, it's a nice message that I, it's difficult to then, you know, I didn't know where I would be, what I would do. I think trying to pick a place to, to play is, is hard. Like I, I would have played anywhere. They would have allowed me, you know, to a, to a certain level. Um, you know, I went to Sweden. Did I see myself playing in Sweden forever? No, but you know, if someone had taken me in the top division, would I have gone there? Maybe. Like it, what, I don't think I think it's very very hard to then go. You know, I sh- I'm suited to this league, you know. Unless you could go and move over there, you know, and 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 start out for a team and hope you get spotted there if that's your goal. But is there but, a grass is always greener situation in 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 maybe the perception that a league which is notoriously suited to a certain type of footballer, it, it's individual examples of it rather than a total I, I would agree with that I've played I've played in Portugal and that is a rough a rough league like I've played Gumares uh, I remember playing for Port- for Portsmouth and um they were the most physical team I've ever played against two questions for you from this crowd sheet do you think it's better to be physically different because it seems to be something that's on his mind in a league where other people are taller or, or like 
and maybe vice versa to be a point of difference and you just craft your game the best you can to be in that situation. I, I think as an 18-year-old, like, um, you know, people that are watching football that are trying to pick you up at pro clubs or take you on to the next stage in your career are knowledgeable about the game. And I think if you are maybe... If he's different to someone else, as I was different to a lot of people, that actually makes you stand out more. If you're in a league full of big people and you're technical and you'll be able to cope with that and you're showing your technical abilities in a league that's not suited to you, that will elevate you higher. So what I would say, and my advice would be, is he's in Northern Ireland and it might be a physical league. But if he can stand out in that league amongst physical players, it will become more, more noticeable. So then the second part of that question would be, he's 18 years old and I imagine other influences come in at that kind of age as well around lifestyle, jobs, money. Like there's a lot of stuff. You're an adult at that age officially, aren't you? So in terms of what he's saying about keeping that motivation, if you're 18 years old and aspire to be above the level that you are at playing football... Would you say there is still time to achieve those yeah, those things that he wants to achieve and yeah. to keep that motivation to kind of push on through this time? I think so. I mean, it's, listen, I don't know his, his circumstances, but um, it gets to a certain age, you know, sort of around 18, 19, 20, where, you know, if things aren't happening for you, of course, you, you, you probably do have to start thinking about other things to do, but you can still play football and you can always get picked. I'm just thinking of Stuart Pearce, of Ian Wright, the ones that I can remember off the top of my head that went down to non-league, Les Ferdinand, and come through and ended up playing Jamie for England. Vardy was... Vardy great, great was playing example. I watched him at Fleetwood with yeah. um, Abby's brother, Sean. And, you know, it does happen. Uh, if you're good enough, you, you will eventually be found, I think. I think one, just from a stats perspective, if you are a young player, one of the big things is playing football. Sounds so simple, but the correlation between minutes at a young, young age to being a first-team player, to excelling in your career, it's, it's so important. Like, you, you know, you went to Sweden, didn't you? And that changed your mentality. Yeah, it's just about playing games. Like, it's all right sitting around in the reserves of a big club. And I see too much of that. I feel like people think that we're at Chelsea or at Man United, at Man City. They're not. You know, get out and play proper football. Get first team games under your belts. You know, you've got... Everyone knows you're attached to a big club. So that immediately... um, gives people something to look at. You go, oh, he's at City. Oh, he must be. And then you're being watched. So it's all about playing games. And, you know, I was a big believer if, you, if you're good enough, you know, you will get that chance. And of course, you need a little bit of luck. But, but stick with it, Robbie. Yeah. He's trying to break into the first team as well. Should he be a bit more parchy, perhaps? Potentially parched, yeah. Oh, maybe Forget, par- yeah, parched. Give a, give a little parch and just see how it goes down. Maybe. Yeah, don't know done. Uh, Odegaard's obviously a great example of being the parched or yeah. El Parcho. Just get on that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cool. Okay, should we do another message? Got a message from Chris here. Cheers for your message, Chris. How did you cope with injuries as a youngster? Have you experienced any pressure to return when not match fit or pressure to play injured? I've got to admit, I think if I was a manager, I wouldn't, I would have a zero injury policy. As in, I don't believe in injuries. Okay. It frustrates the hell out of me yeah, with the current really Watford frustrating. team, you know, out every Saturday, four or five out with injury. And I think it's a pathetic excuse. There's <laughs> <laughs> an element of it that being a bit harsh, but um, coming from a man who wasn't injured much, there is definitely an element of truth in it being pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> is it a mentality thing? No, I don't know. I, listen, there's injuries that are you can't get up from, but there's also injuries where I think... 
you could probably get through that. I mean, it was labelled at Daniel Sturridge for a while, you know, and I've played with players that played with Daniel Sturridge and you think you could probably get through it, but they were a little bit scared to make it worse. So they don't take the option to go through it. You know, I, I remember having injections in my ankle to, I was away at Newcastle and I couldn't get my boot on because it was, I didn't have any feeling in it. And um, because I'd, <laughs> I'd numbed the pain. But then my boot, I'd sort of, it was swollen, but it didn't, it didn't feel like my own foot. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying oh, I was a hero. Like, I don't know. I, would someone else have missed that game? Or I don't know. I, I, I would have done every, anything to be on that pitch at any given time for selfish reasons. You know, like I wanted to, of course, I wanted to help my team, but I wanted to be out there. I didn't want to lose my starting place. I, I would have got out there, you know, no matter what. And sometimes that's actually a more selfish way of looking at things. So you think, is that to the detriment of the team? I'm injured and I'm playing. But I, I would have done anything to be on that pitch. And, and that's not always the mentality with every player. So just, did the squad look at these players differently? Yeah, yeah, Because, you know, you'd see players and you'd think, and they'd, they'd be out for the game on Saturday and then be fully training Monday. But that can't happen. I don't think that's physically possible. To be injured on a Saturday and train fully on a Monday, that two days, I don't, I don't get. Let's, let's talk about your injuries. I've scoured the internet and I think I've found six in an entire career yeah. is so impressive. The big one as well was appendicitis. I had a hernia operation and this was actually with the birth of my, my little boy. And um, I had it a couple of weeks before I was due to give birth and Av was like, you sure you'd be all right? And I was like, no, hernia, you've you done in five days. I got my hernia, got infected. So I had the mesh put in and um, it, I got infected. And when, when Jack was being born, baby Divrat, I was lying in hospital next to Ab and like, she always swears, but she's like the, the nurses were coming in going, do you want a cup of tea here? And this man, <laughs> Ab's just given birth. <laughs> and I'm lying next to her with a dodgy groin. Absolutely. And, uh, well, I was that. in bits though, you know, like my, I had a fever. I had, um, it, it, I was so ill. Like I can't believe infection had spread through. I've got pictures of it, which you won't want to see. But my, my groin had like gone black and um, you could see all the, and they said they measured the infection and it was like, on a ridiculous scale and I was sweating and uh, the fever. Uh, it was horrific. And then Ab went home with the baby and I was still in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're getting cups of tea every five yeah, minutes. What's true, your problem? True. Quite enjoying it. <laughs> but, but an actual injury that you had at, at Stoke, I think was one of the biggest. 27 days out. I think you missed around six games with an ankle injury. How do you adjust your mentality in those seasons? You know, six weeks, I remember clear as day because I hated every single minute of it. You come in at a different time. You don't see the lads. You have to stay around the training ground and do things that were just monotonous to get your strength back up. You know, sitting on the couch and watching games on a Saturday were was repulsive to me. I, I found it so hard to deal with. And how, how you have a long-term injury, the mentality... Uh, I remember speaking to Jamie Redknapp. We used to travel down to Southampton together. The sort of mentality like you have to have, to have and then the, the work rate to get back to, to playing again is so hard. I remember Ledley King's one of my best friends, you know, when I was, I, we grew up together. And watching him sort of, you know, we'd, we'd all go out to training and you'd see him and he'd just be on this arm bike, you know, because, and you'd think, oh, like, and he'd be the best player on a Saturday, but just that, mentality of watching everyone else going out to have fun and you're like it's like the dog you know in at the Batsy dog's home that doesn't get picked you know every all the other dogs go out and have a massive walk in Batsy Park 
And you're just sitting there whimpering, crying, looking at the window going, oh, I wish I was out there. It's horrible. And I did it for like you say, for like those six weeks was the longest I was out. And thank God. How did you chumbawamba in that moment? I prided myself on training every single day. I, the, the, I could probably count, it's probably under double figures the amount of games I missed for injury in my whole career. But I, I would like to say that it's probably under double figures how many training sessions I missed. Um, definitely under 20 because I, I, I didn't miss training much at all, let alone games. What's the latest on the messages you've sent out on the Messi-Ronaldo debate? Yeah, a few random ones. Obviously, we, I stayed on him for a little bit. Uh, and Matthew Everington, uh, got a friend of the pod, um, he came back to me. Morning. Oh. Messi for, for me every time. Genius. Okay, great. We put him down as Messi then. Everington. Uh, Chris Akabusi. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why not? Uh, he said, Ronaldo all day long. Wow. Right. Part of your camp, Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that change your opinion on either of those two people or not? I knew what they would be. <laughs> you? you can look at Everington and Akabusi and you know. We got a few messages from various uh, interesting names. This is right up there with one of the best ones. Message from Daddy Cool 82 Who, in your opinion, has come back the strongest from a negative experience within football? Oh, it's an interesting one. For me, it's Cantona. <laughs> So this is a form of Chumbawamba, isn't it? You know, someone's yeah. been knocked down I mean, and that got was right back some up. from Cantona, wasn't yeah. it? He was vilified. Funny you should mention that, Crouchy, because I think we're going to have to take a little bit of a look about that Chumbawamba oh, in the, action. The laptop's out. The laptop is out. We're going to go through, do some analysis, this time on the Eric Cantona Kung Fu kick. Mm. I remember watching this live, Dave. Incredible scenes. Never seen anything like it. He was getting kicked that game as well, and he obviously just lost it, two-footed someone. But then this, wow. Chris Armstrong runs over. <laughs> Dennis Irwin's over. Schmeichel's involved. Paul Ince went, went in. I don't know if you remember, Paul Ince backed him up. Yeah, went for him afterwards. Went in, I think Ince got a little bit of a ban as well. But that, at that moment, <clears throat> and the aftermath of this, I thought that was him done. I think everyone did. You thought he'd never play professional football again. You know, it's sort of, you need to sort of set a precedent, don't you? Like, you can't ever, you know, go into the crowd in that manner. <laughs> but the comeback, my God, I remember the penalty against um, Liverpool. Liverpool. So the pen where he scored, and then he, he ran around the pole at the end. I think it might have been Liverpool. And um, sort of, you know, jigged around that. And I thought, my God, he's back. And then he went on to, to win Premier League titles. It was a some chumbawamba. Big chumbawamba. But Crouchy, if someone in the crowd, okay, we'll just try and replay this. I want to, you know, so if you've just been sent off, Crouchy, you've been kicked all game, and someone says to you a number of really rude things, such as fuck off back to animal, calls your mum a whore, are you going in the crowd and giving him the kung fu kick? No, because I've heard that. That's nothing new, especially a while ago. Mm. You know, I think now it's better, but it's not, it's not stamped out. I've been walking in from tunnels and heard the worst kind of abuse you could imagine. Same as every other footballer's had, really. But Cantona's just wide different. <laughs> and he, and he, you know, he's, he's gone in and I think that sort of flawed genius, if you like, that's what Cantona is. And, you know, of course it was the wrong thing to do, but that was part and parcel of his makeup. He was wired up differently. And I think... Um, the Chumbawamba was phenomenal. I'm so, the worst thing is I'm saying Chumbawamba like in a serious context now. Yeah. But 
it's become a word. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I was just looking at his numbers from from his days in the Premier League at Manchester United. In a season, in the 93-94 season, he scored 24 goals and got 13 assists. That wow. flight... I don't think people respect him enough statistically. Yeah, I didn't realise he had that many goals. I know he had an impact in um, massive moments and that was why he was a big game player. Mm. He came to the fore in games that they needed him most. But I didn't realise how quite how many goals and assists he got in that year. It was absolutely not. So looking at the, the Kung Fu kick as the sort of the point um, where we're breaking it down, the Chumbawamba, pre-Chumbawamba, 16 goals a season on average, 11 assists. After the Chumbawamba moment, the Kung Fu kick... 16 goals and 14 assists. So he did actually improve on his numbers afterwards. That is, that is amazing, isn't it? You know, to go, what was it, nine months or so, or so, like out of the game and then to come back and, you know, that that degree, obviously the goal in the in the FA Cup final as well. Um, huge moments for a huge player. And I, I, I struggle to think of a Chumbawamba. I'm thinking of Granit Xhaka. I'm looking at that like there was no way back there. You know, he, he threw his shirt, the armband, um, you know, reactions to the crowd. The crowd were... It's very, very rarely do you see a a home crowd against a player like that and then come back from it. And to come back in the manner that he's come back certainly this season has been a credit to him, really, and shows the strength in character. I think it's an interesting one from a tactical perspective because there was a lot of Xhaka being involved in the build-up and the mistakes would come and they'd concede goals. And now we're seeing him further up the pitch... Do you think it just suits him a bit better? I do, yeah. But I also think like these, the fact that, you know, to take the pitch again after that and to get probably booed and, you know, the, the abuse maybe from outside and his family would have taken that on. Uh, to come back from that is a, is a big task and it takes a big character to do that. So, um, you know, chumba wamba kudos to Granit Xhaka. Should we do another message? Message from Henry. Should we do this one? Is there a point when you just click and realise you're going to make it as a pro or does it just surprise you? I always felt personally that I, I had ability, but I didn't know where that would that would lead me. It got to a stage where I was sort of 18, 19, where I knew I was going to have a career, but I didn't know at what level. I really, really didn't know. And I remember those first time at QPR, it was so like cutthroat, it was whether you would make it or not. And I got a couple of injuries and I got in and the crowd weren't sure about me and I'll always remember it to this day against um, against Gillingham when the ball sort of like chested it down and I slipped and heard the crowd groan and I thought if I'd have fell over and put it over the bar, would I be here today? You know, but I, I sweeped it home with it on the volley. That was the moment I thought, I'm going to have a career in football. And after that, obviously, I exceeded my wildest dreams with my, with my career you know, everything that's come to me now has been a surprise. Not a surprise because I've worked hard to get there and I always felt that I had the ability to get there. But if you'd have said to me as a 15-year-old that I'd have the career that I've had, I, I would have thought you were mad. What changed from that, that volley? What changed in your mentality? Confidence and belief just went through the roof. You know, I went out and there was fans, you know, like all around me. And, I, you know, my family were in the crowd, my friends were in the crowd. The buzz that I got, the adrenaline coming out of that stadium. And then I got, you know, a lift home from my dad. I was still getting a lift in. And then, you know, we went back home and I just, I was, I was so buzzing. I couldn't wait to get back into training on the Monday. And that feeling is just something special where I thought, you know what, I'm, I, I would have stayed at QPR for my whole career. It would have been, you know, that would have been great. 
but you know things progressed and the, with the belief came you know I, I started playing better I scored more goals and things just escalated from there Chris did you have a moment like that you dropped one banger and then it changed your DJing career <laughs> no look jokes aside I think it's there's this film isn't there The Pursuit of Happiness where Will Smith gets the job and then he walks outside and onto the street and it all goes slow-mo and he's buzzing like, and everyone's just walking around and he's finally got this job he wanted. But yeah, my job, I felt very lucky to have that. Scott took me to a pub. He's like, I'm not going to tell you this, but um, Radio 1 are going to offer you a, a year's contract tomorrow. Because up to then, I'd only be doing like one or two days a week. And I remember just having this pint in front of me and downing it. And <laughs> I've never had elation like that apart from when my kids were born. Because it was such a slow process. You know, I was doing anything I could to meet people that were working in radio or people who had listened to my demo, like did work experience. It's so different. And look, this is about being a footballer and that's what... No, no, but I don't about, think it's different. Like, that's, I don't think it is different. That's the point. Like what makes you keep going? That's the, that's the difference is what we're getting to the bottom of with, with mentality. Like, you know, I had so many knockbacks and problems and people told me I wasn't good enough or I didn't look right or, you know, I was... There was constant problems you must have encountered that as well i cried one night answered that was it i was working i was actually working at radio one by then i managed to get a job answering the phones on the sunday surgery i felt like i had a foot in the door but i just wasn't just wasn't leading anywhere and i loved doing that don't get me wrong and i loved doing the internships and works but i remember being at home one night and just crying because i was like my ego or something was taken over in that I should be looking after my family and my sister had just had a baby and I should do more to support her. Obviously, like, what makes you keep going? I think it's just the love of what you do, you but know? Don't you think that informed every decision you did, which eventually, eventually led to something? Like, the thing is, when I look back at every little thing I did, like, I did push through that, that feeling. Maybe, I don't know, but there was obviously a huge amount of luck and... I don't know. And maybe you shouldn't force yourself through those situations. And it's not a nice place to feel, but I think the common thread is, even if it doesn't work out, the the ones where it does work out, you still have to go through that phase. That's the common thing Mm. that bonds people is there is a point where you're upset and you think it's not going to work out. Yeah, but if you love it, you continue to do it. And then it it will happen if you're good enough, you know? I think... That for me, certainly, like I would still be playing football at any level, you know? So it's because I loved it. So I just so happened that I got... It was my job in the end, but I would have paid that's, to, that's to play That's a really it. good point because it's a hobby first, isn't it? Yeah. And then you were lucky to make it a career in the sense that you got that opportunity and you pushed through a certain time and you made your own luck. But you would have always loved football. I would have played it. So I would have, I would have paid whatever the subs are, you know, 100 quid a year to play every Saturday or Sunday. And then you might have found another focus in your life that you loved as much as you've yeah, turned you out know. to love football with hindsight. Exactly. Which you might not have ever got into if the football thing had worked out. There's a similar message from Melissa. It says, was there a point you thought you'd never make it? And if so, what job would you have done instead? I think linked to that and the question before, did you ever hit a point where you were going to throw football away? There were, there were some real lows... Never, not for one second did I ever think that I would give up. Um, and it wasn't even about giving up. It was just I was always going to play and I wanted to play at the highest level I could possibly be. And I always felt I had ability to to, to be there. But I, I remember like 
Des Bolpin was the youth team manager at, at Tottenham and he just believed in me like ridiculously. And he would he would drag me in as a schoolboy to, to train with the scholars on the holidays. And I was the only one from the year below playing with these these kids. And obviously, imagine how nerve-wracking it is for a 15-year-old to go into... Like, these boys are training every single day. They've got a rapport. They've got like uh, a group, a clique. And it's different like to how it is now. You know, it was, it was harsh, you know. <laughs> so imagine being the skinny lanky kid from school coming in to train with these these older lads like I found it so tough like and obviously I was the man, the manager's son that's what they used to call me you know it was like parched basically <laughs> <laughs> young parchio um and yeah that was tough I mean that was I found it really hard going in every day and there were times where I was like I don't want to go in you know in the, in the morning you think, I don't want to go. You know, they're going to take the mick out of me. <laughs> but I got through it every single day and because I loved it. And that led to on to then be, hold on a minute, you can play. And then I got into that team. Overcoming those fears, like, was became a pattern of my life. You know, like, I realised how good it feels when you have something that you want to give up on, that you don't give up on, that you come out the other side of. It's the best feeling in the world, and I still have that to this day. You know, even now, you know, we go on, on at Crouch Fest, for instance. You know, we're we're, we're, we're shitting go, ourselves. Well, last time, do you remember last? Do you remember me at Crouch Fest last time? Well, we had a beer before, didn't we? And we were like, we were just trying to do anything because everything. I found it. I'll be honest. I found it mental in that situation because you play in front of fifty, sixty, yeah. seventy, like thousand people, and I'm thinking like, okay, it was a big crowd. Don't get me wrong, but it was. 3,000 people. I know it's different, but I remember I was going in and there was just this wall of noise and everyone was so rowdy. You can love it, Dave. Everyone was so supportive and we'd done these walk-ons, ridiculous walk-ons. I remember you just turning to me and being like, how do we start? Even that live TV stuff, you know, like obviously doing live TV now, you know, all of a sudden they go, right, you're, you're live to like millions of people and like that buzz of loving, what am I doing here? I shouldn't be here. But then overcoming that and it being a success is the best feeling ever. I was reading a book from Anne Middleton that talks about fear as a bubble. And you're talking about fear in that one moment being a bubble. But when you overcome it, it becomes addictive. Yeah. And it's something about self-belief that you need to be able to put yourself in these uncomfortable moments because it makes you better and you don't want to do it. But when you do it, like you say, and you, you're starting to break things down, you're starting to really become yourself and I think that's something for anyone like you know let's say Robbie doing these hard things getting through it you'll feel such confidence in yourself and I think that's something that's been coming through Crouch is that you basically snowballed this and you were so confident well like you say about like it's not just it's sort of in any walk of life now Dave I'm like things that you overcome just you know, no matter what it is is people you know who have uh, jobs now that will, might have to take a lead a meeting they might have to try and win a campaign or win a you know even even job interviews you know like it's so easy to just go oh forget that like I'm nervous I'm not I'm going I'm too nervous I'm not going to do it but then you put yourself in that position it's horrible horrible thing to do but then you you sort of come through it and you nail it and you think oh my god or you fuck like, up. It's okay. Or you it's fuck also, up. It's yeah. okay to fuck up. Like this was the biggest thing I learned a while ago was I fucked up something once. I remember being really hungover and we there was filming something. It was a big weekend. It was we're in this porter cabin, so there's cameras all around, and it's live. And I had to do a link. I just remember it feeling all of a sudden really hot and I couldn't fucking talk. I was like this. I was like Avicii, uh Ibiza pills, took a pill, I be like, <laughs> like 
<laughs> like, I, I laugh about it now, right? But I remember going out and, uh, and like, I remember just going like, I'm losing my job here. And I learned, actually, and it took so long to get there that actually you can fuck things up. And, and as long as you sort of, like, acknowledge it's okay to fuck things up, it weirdly makes you then better. Like, I only got better at my job when I'd made mistakes. Yeah, because I suppose once you've made that mistake and it's gone wrong and the consequence isn't horrendous, yeah. next time you go in and you go like, well, if I make a mistake, it's not going to be the end of the world. We all fuck up. You fucked up in front of thousands of people, mm. you know? You still do all right and you still front it even when the crowd's not on your side and mm. in answer to melissa's message what job would you have done instead do you reckon um i'd like to have been a sportsman like i don't know if i like follow an, like another sport would have been nice but realistically like i'm glad she answered it in a more diplomatic way than what would you be if you weren't a footballer yeah. but i i would have gone into advertising i think i feel like like my creative writing was quite good i feel like we come up with you know some good stuff on yeah. this pod like i would have liked to have probably my dad was in advertising he wrote ads and taglines and things like that like i would have liked to have probably gone into that ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What's next? So I got a message from Josh, the young farmer. What person was the most influential in your youth days and helped your mindset to becoming a pro footballer? That says, like, Josh... Like the young farmer, like is that how he goes? Goes by? No, no, no. You know about young farmers, do no. you? I DJ for a lot of young farmers. There's a scene. Was this what a young farming? <laughs> oh, I need to explain all this now. Young I? farming scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never heard of a young farmer? Well, I, I imagine they're farmers that are young. No, but... it's not. It's not. It's not it's like a scene. Yeah, there's so. Oh, this is gonna be. This is gonna be really hard to explain. So all over the UK. There's thousands of what are called young farmers. There's young farmers organizations. I get booked to DJ a lot of their events. So I'll turn up and they will have, it'll be like a cow shed and there'll be a thousand young farmers like drinking, shirts above their head. Like it's. You know, that is Dave. This sounds absolutely wild. I think we need to go down. The rave scene of the 90s. (laughs) I think you really, you really, you really need to be across this (laughs) because. A lot of these young farmers, they work in isolation, spend a lot of hours in tractors or working by themselves in farms. So we keep them company with this podcast. I think you'd be surprised how many young farmers listen to this podcast. But Josh here calls himself Josh the Young Farmer and hence why we're having this discussion. But it's, it's a real thing. Oh. All over the UK. Oh, look out for that. Young farmers, get in touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, well, definitely. I'll, t- I'll bring you along to a young farmer's gig. They're brilliant. So Great good. party. Just back to Josh's question, who was the most influential person when you grew up? Well, yeah, bar none, my dad. You know, obviously he was the biggest influence on me wanting to watch football, wanting to play football, and then supporting me through my football journey. Uh, But then there's people along the way, you know, like my first um, school teacher, Mr. Waring, uh, had a massive influence. My first um, football manager at West Middlesex Colts, Andy Campbell. Now, these these are names that just... You know, might not mean anything to to other people, but you know, 
just were so big on, on my career. I mean, Andy, you know, these people give up their time to volunteer to manage these kids' football teams. And, you know, they can't be underestimated. They, they are everyone, every player that you see in the Premier League now has an Andy Campbell or has a Mr. Waring or has, you know, you know, not necessarily their dad, but someone of that calibre that they related to. It might be a school teacher. Um, and then I go on to, you know, my secondary school where um, Ted Dale was there and he was the um, manager of my county team. You know, my district team was, he was involved in that as well. And my school teacher, and he actually had ties in with Chelsea. But then I had Bob Osborne was another person who was at Chelsea, actually, who, who got me to be a ball boy. Uh, and then later on, I had Bob Alva, Pat Holland, and, and, and Des Bolpin um, at Tottenham, who then, who then just believed in me. And these are all names you probably wouldn't know, but people that were hugely, hugely influential on my career. And I wouldn't be where I am without that group of managers and coaches and teachers. Uh, and of course, my dad. Being a ball boy, how important do you think that was? I loved it. I mean, you know, being a ball boy was like, all the ball boys mainly are, are players that are in the academies or, and certainly for me, like Bob Osborne was trying to get me down to Chelsea and I was at uh, QPR at the time. We used to train at Barclays Bank and um, he tried to drag me down to, to Battersea to, to, to train with Chelsea and I, I don't know, it just didn't feel right. Like At that time, they were just getting in lots and lots of players and the turnover with, of players was, my dad felt it wasn't, they weren't developing players at that time. You know, under Neil Bath now, they have a, an amazing structure at Chelsea. And I think Neil Bath is another one, actually. He, was, he used to do the sports development in the Ealing area. He was someone who was, who was amazing to be around. But like he's elevated himself to now he's like in charge of the whole academy at Chelsea. You know, so I've watched like his journey as, as I suppose he's watched mine. And um, he's another one, you know, hugely influential. Um, you know, so much knowledge about the game. Barry Quinn, another one, I think I've touched on him at Brentford. He was, you know, someone who just developed me as a player, you know, with the ball at my feet, you know, came up with so many drills that really honed my sort of technique as a, as a player. And that stood me in good stead right the way through. So yeah, there's so many people that I want to mention and I will have forgotten some that, that will disappoint me probably tomorrow. But there's so many people along the journey that help you on your way to becoming the player you are and you probably don't get the chance to thank them enough. So, thank do you, you. Do you think you've realised which coaches or people in and around football that sort of built you as this player that's quite resilient? That was something, like, like I say, I had to become someone different on the pitch and I think it was my dad probably that helped me make, mostly through that. Because I, I, I was a bit too nice and then on the pitch I had to become someone else certainly because when I think it was when I went to Tottenham and there was players from sort of all parts of London and players like I, I had a nice upbringing you know like and lots of these these lads came from quite rough estates and I was thrust into this mad world and it was sort of sink or swim a bit it was like hold on I, I remember jumping out of a tackle I think we've talked about it before my dad like raging at me for doing that and then telling me it was because of I was too nice and that really hit home and I didn't jump out of a tackle again. Things like that. Like I had to become more men mentally sort of resilient where, whereas some kids with a more tough upbringing would be perhaps more used to that dog eat dog kind of environment. I, I had quite a nice life, you know what I mean? So I, I wasn't fighting for, for, for mine and my family's livelihood, you know? So I had to trick myself to believe in our was. Just quickly, Crouch, any more updates on the Messi versus Ronaldo text messages? 
Yeah, actually, my old pal Jermaine Defoe's got in touch, Ooh. and he had this to say. So the who's better out of Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi? It's a tough one because they've both scored unbelievable amounts of goals. Messi, seven Ballon d'Ors, Ronaldo, six, is it? I think I'm right in saying. Obviously, Ronaldo's done it in all different leagues. It's a hard one. But what I would say is, Ronaldo is someone that I think that's sort of like um, grafted, worked hard, you know, dedicated himself to his craft, worked hard to become the player he is. Whereas I think with Messi, I think that's just God gifted. Like, he can just switch it on and he's just unbelievable. But I say Messi's, Messi's better because just the gift that he's got. I mean, you've seen over the years, just win games out of nothing. But I'll say, I'll say, I'll say Messi. Wow. Interesting. But that's similar to what I said in, in many ways. It's like, you know, Ronaldo, what he's achieved is like, so, I mean, an elite athlete. But I'm talking about, nat- I'm talking about winning games, like pure football ability. Yeah, is it more impressive if it's natural, if you're taking well, that That argument? depends, like... Because I'd argue maybe isn't. I'm saying if you're a Peloton trainer, you'd say Ronaldo. That's how I know. You know, like if you're a mm. personal trainer, you know they're going to go Ronaldo. But if you're of pure footballing breed, <laughs> you say Lionel Messi. <laughs> okay, well, I think we can settle this Messi-Ronaldo thing at the uh, Wembley podcast that we do and at Crouch Fest. Get all those people in the room, like make a final thing on it. Because it's something we keep returning to as a podcast. It'd be good to kind of settle Just it, right? Just finalise it, you know, we can all move on and get on with our lives. And I think we keep sending out a few messages on your phone as well. I don't know why, it's just interesting knowing who some of our favourite celebrities would go for. People are, like, not bothered, though, are they? Like, even though, you know, you might look down on them in some way. There's no right or wrong answer. It just, like, it just makes you look at them in a, in a different, different light. light. Yeah. <laughs> Distaste in your mouth, Grouchy. No, I can't, I'm just looking at people <laughs> who, I can, who I can message. <laughs> I was thinking Noel, super vet. Is he a super vet? Do you know Noel? Do you know Noel, super vet? I don't remember. Is super vet. Super vet. You would know. You can't just keep going, you know, Super Vet, and it will suddenly... It's not Messi or Ronaldo, is it? You're not across Super Vet. I'm not across Super This Vet. man will make any animal walk. <laughs> <laughs> that is a bold claim. I think what I'm finding a bit odd, maybe I'm a couple of louts in, is like, you've got... It's like, it's funny you seeing you buzz so much, like, off Super I'm just Vet. surprised that I, like, out of this whole room, though... <laughs> You know, please, listeners, get in touch and let's give Supervet some love. Like, you lot of just, what the hell are you doing? And, and most importantly, we'll find out if he wants Messi or Ronaldo. We'll see which way he swings on that. So if you want to get involved, head over to thatpetercrouchpodcast.com, pass the poll, tell your mates about it. I want to leave you with one stat. Uh, Lionel Messi's been directly involved in a goal every 69 minutes in his career. Ronaldo, every 85 minutes. 69 minutes over the course of an entire career. You know, I'd be interested to know proportionally then how many goals were let in in those games because everyone was pissing around at the front, you know? <laughs> so d- does one play? what I mean is, does one player have a more positive effect in the overall game defensively? I think so, yeah. But you look at, I think Messi under Guardiola was fantastic in the press. I think Ronaldo under Ferguson was cheating a lot more. Would play on the counter-attack, wouldn't really get involved in the defensive shape at times. So I think that's definitely a... You know, part of your your point. You know, you need to see that completeness. I think that's something that we want to do with the poll. Mm. Don't be biased on goals and assists. Also, for our next pod, we've just heard uh, Jermaine Defoe's views on the Messi and Ronaldo debate. Uh, I've just texted him to see if he'll come on the pod. And you know what? It's a yes. That's right. And we need to do this more then. So just get them. It's like fishing. <laughs> get the rod out. Ronaldo a little and Messi. nibble on Messi-Ronaldo then. 
Are you free next Tuesday? <laughs> We've nailed it. How many series is this? Six series? Seven series. We finally worked out how to book a guest. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done too badly, to be fair. We had Ed Sheeran on last week. That's Prince true. William. That's true. But this is the way to get it. Yeah, yeah. You know? I agree. It's the time of the pod where we've got to check in on Chris's fitness journey with Peloton. He's trying to become the best version of himself with the help of Peloton's world-class instructors and equipment. Chris, how's it going this week? It's um, it's actually going all right. I've learned this new feature where you can stack the classes called stacking. Oh, yeah. Now, the good thing about this is I can do one class and then the other without breaking in between. Because what I'm finding is if I do one class and have a little break, I freeze. Like, I, I <laughs> turn into this, like, I go stiff. Whereas this, it just carries it on through. Just another one before you know it. Oh, nice. Crouchy, what, what combination do you reckon Chris should go with? You know, we've spoke about the walk, we spoke about the run, the bike, the yoga. <sighs> what about a run and yoga? Is that possible? Can you they run? don't really flow into each other the same way, do they? Like, it would be funny to see. Because <laughs> the, the thing is, I do the run and then I'm proper sweating afterwards, yeah. right? And I go in and I can't even get like the shirt off me because I'm sweating so much. And then you're suggesting I just get down and be on all fours. Yeah. Like a wet dog. Well, just, it's just something that I'd like to see personally. I don't know if it'd be good on your fitness journey, but... I'd yeah. like to see it. I might do that, but um, but that's what I mean. I'm I'm sort of experimenting. I use the app a lot as well. I find that helps. You can sort of plan the journeys on the way home, stack them together, and then go in. Bosh, get them done. Before we go any further, I've been told that we've got a motivational voice note from Tony Bell. You, Chris. Hello, boys. Crouchy, Statman, and Chris Stark. Obviously, Chris. How is the Peloton journey going, lad? You've had a bit of notice now and you should be in half-decent shape. Well, I'm not going to mess you better bleeding that be. Seems that you've told me your athletic peak was in year six when you was 11 years of age. I'm a little bit concerned and so should you. What I will say is you've got to keep going, keep pushing, keep trying as hard as you possibly can. Be ready, stop whinging and get your ass in gear. I'll see you soon, lad. Keep pedalling in a bit, son. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good... I felt there was a G up in there. Like, there was like, come on, son, get on your bike, don't quit. He raises <laughs> some good points. And uh, valid questions, I think. <laughs> Very valid questions. Have I passed my year six apex yet? You know, that was the peak of my fitness, I would say, in sort of my age, size, fitness. Year six, it was, you know, a real consistent look for me. Uh, do I think I'm there yet? No, I don't think I am. If still I'm honest, time, Chris. but I still have time. Still have time, and I believe this is the kind of like final push towards Crouch Fest, isn't it? How fit can I realistically get in? What What is it? Three, four weeks? I can get fit. I mean, that's the same as a preseason, really. Like, you know, if you come back from an international break, you probably have yeah two, three weeks before you're back playing Premier League football. So, I, I guarantee. Like, I do think they have a probably a slightly better starting point than you but I think you can do it and I get um, PBs all the time popping up on the peloton that's good that means something's improving anyway mm, I do think we've got we've got the beanbag chat at some point for you to deliver to Chris Crouch if there's any more problems I felt that was a little bit more Jose Mourinho implosion-esque yeah. from Tony Bellew in a sense of you know we've seen Chelsea Manchester United implode under Mourinho it felt like it was at that point so I'm not He's worried about you. I, th- I think what it is as well, I think the reason why I'm getting better, I'm getting fitter is because I'm mixing up what I'm doing now. It isn't just the bike. It isn't just mm. the the running. And I think this is what will 
propel me towards Crouch Fest, you know, getting the other stuff, getting a bit um, stretchier, you know, getting a bit, <laughs> a bit of yoga thrown in. I've never rated yoga, but, you know, actually it might be doing me some good right now. I'm doing the running, I'm doing the cycling. Occasionally I'm doing shadow boxing, you know? I'm well, ready. If you're more supple with the yoga, it might give you more with the running and the, I, I, and the walking. I feel like that. I feel like uh, my running style's improved, definitely. I feel like Mo Farah. You know, when yeah. you see just that lovely rhythm to him and it just almost looks effortless, doesn't it? And that's how I feel, exactly mm. like Mo Farah on there. Oh, well, I'm glad. You mentioned shadow boxing, Chris. How's that been? Yep, uh, good. Yeah, I did a shadow boxing class with JJ. I think the Bellew thing puts me off my stride a little bit with that because I'm not going to punch him. Do you know what I mean? So the boxing thing, it feels like I'm never going to be able to go anywhere near what Bellew can do. But I did the class and the class was quite fun. Great to hear you're still sticking with it, Chris. That's fantastic. Really good to dig down into the mentality of becoming a top professional footballer. And it is a bit different. This episode is a bit different, but... I think it's always what this podcast is has stood for. And um, I think it's good to have these conversations as well. We enjoy having them. Yeah, it's good you know, to talk about the mentality. It's like, it's, it's interesting, you know, and lots of people are interested in it because, you know, certainly like parents and stuff like that, I want to see, you know, if, they've, if their kids have got like a talent, like how do you nurture that through or, you know, and also the, the tough times, like people are going through them, like how do you overcome them and sort of how did I overcome them, I suppose. And hopefully we've, we've given that... And also, we've mentioned, you know, about flicking balls. We have, yeah, yeah. I think we've ruined swimming now as well. So that's, you know, it's balanced. Light and shade. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This episode is brought to you by a load of pricks.net. We are the experts in selling houses. Chris couldn't sell his house. What did you do, Chris? I couldn't sell my house for love nor money, Crouchy. Three different offers I had, all at the last minute, fell through. I turned around to my wife and said, what can we do to sell this house? Every estate agent is failing us. Then I told her, let's go to a load of pricks.net. But Chris, what did a load of pricks do for you? They were brilliant, Crouchy. They sold my house right away. The sign had barely gone up when a well-dressed gentleman came along and offered me twice the asking price. Chris, would you use a load of pricks again? I'd use them every time, Crouchy. Go to loadofpricks.net. They will sell your house like no other. Loadofpricks, loadofpricks.net. 